Hey friends, did you know that Feminist Frequency recently launched the Games and Online Harassment Hotline? Well, we sure did. It is a confidential text-based emotional support resource for folks who make and play games. You can learn more at gameshotline.org and please, please help us spread the word so we can reach the people who need it the most. Capitalism is part and parcel of the way that gender has been constructed. We really need to talk about like, you know, what about a man in a dress is so unsettling for people? Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian. That's what it says in the (laughs) teleprompter, okay? That's what it says in the teleprompter. I don't know if I agree with it, but I have to read it. Um, And I'm joined today by two women who are on hold with PlayStation 5 customer service, Ebony Adams and the real Anita Sarkeesian. Hello. I love... I love being on hold with customer service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's my favorite. I, I, yeah. I love wanting a PlayStation 5. Uh, <laughs> do you love wanting one or do you love having one if you oh. had it? Well, that if I... didn't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, first, by the way, this week we're going to be talking about entertainment and pop culture news. So stay with us. Yeah, so those PS5s, Carol. Yeah, yeah, the PS5s. Um, I was like, this console generation, I, I'm i fine waiting like six months, a year, whatever. I don't need, you know, because I can't, I can't like afford them right now. And both I can't afford them and they're super hard to get. So I'm like, you know, whatever, it's fine. Um, but for whatever reason, like the PS5 has both what looks like a really delightful launch pack in, in, in what's called Astro's Playroom. And it has this, uh, the, the Demon Souls remake, which is just gorgeous. And so, like, unfortunately, those two things are, they are, like, getting under my skin a little bit. Like, I do kind of want a PS5. I have to admit, like, I would like to have one of those. Um, you know, well, it's, I mean, I'm fine waiting, but but I, I, I do, wit, you know, I, I am looking forward to getting one at some point. I'm sure somehow this is COVID's fault. Like everything. It's Trump and COVID's fault that you can blame not having a PS5 on. Sure. It's the market, Anita. It's planned (laughs) scarcity. That happens all the time. I look forward to getting one of these in 15 years after Anita has um, had it and is like, I'm getting getting rid of some stuff. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm happy to take one. And then call you guys every like three days and be like, okay, how do I work this again? (laughs) Yes, that is uh, exactly what precisely what's going to happen. PS4. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when we when we packed up the office, I was like, "Man, we got this extra PlayStation for the office. Do you want it, Ebony?" And she's like, "Yeah, totally." And yeah. I'm like, "Do you know how to use it?" She's like, "No, not even a little bit." <laughs> no, but then I was really happy to have it because I played a lot, a lot, a lot of Donut County, oh, and yeah. it was great. In fact, I need to. I should get back into that. And I also loved Life is Strange, being able to play that um, and talk about it with Caro. So there was an unfinished swan. So I did play some stuff. Like, I don't only use it to watch HBO Max. But that is the main thing I I use it for. (laughs) That's okay. Sometimes there are definitely months where it's just just to watch streaming stuff. I'm like, I don't play yeah. anything on it. And I'm like, this is a mm-hmm. really, really expensive <laughs> system to watch TV on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, none of us have any of the new consoles. And I think it's the first time in a while that we haven't been able to just like get the new consoles at launch. And yeah, yeah. I think Carolyn, I'm with you where it's like, uh, it'd be nice to have it. It doesn't really matter, but yeah. like, it would be nice to have it. It's just not mm-hmm. like, yeah. You know, um, not not this year. I also want to just before we move on to the main, my little joke in the in the intro, um, uh, just for anyone who didn't, uh, you know, if anyone did catch the reference, shout outs to you. So this past week, a Fox News reporter, I don't know who I can't keep them straight, whatever, like who cares? One of the interchangeable Fox <laughs> News reporters. <laughs> Um, like was doing the intro to his show or, you know, some spiel. And he he was reading the teleprompter and he said, like, you know, basically um, being like, and, um, you know, there's been no evidence found of, of election fraud uh, in, you know, in as all these investigations are ongoing, which is true. Like he said an accurate thing, but then mm-hmm. he followed it up with, uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I agree with that. It's on the teleprompter. So I said it, but I don't agree with oh it. Oh my God. Um, so... 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, Seriously? Wow. Um, it's Jesus pretty wild Christ. seeing seeing the seeing. You know, there was a uh, well. Anyway, uh, folks like the right, the hard right, Trump right, turning on Fox News now because they're yeah. they're actually referring to Biden as like president elect and stuff. So at least their daytime quote unquote like hard news or actual news programs are some of them. So um, anyway, well, that's amusing. Let's uh, hey, but why don't we um, you know get into our main segment of entertainment news? You know, uh, this is I think our third timed since ever since you know mm-hmm. uh, rest in peace my weekly entertainment news segment has uh, been retired oh, we like to yeah. periodically do a you know a pop culture bonanza because sometimes there are stories uh, things happening in the world of entertainment pop culture celebrity etc that we do think are very much worthy of being uh, and, commented on and yeah and sometimes if we just don't know what to talk about that week well, or this is a really pulling, good filler. pulling back the curtain a little too much there anita uh, yeah or or someone like, you don't have to read everything on the teleprompter anita <laughs> yeah. um yeah so uh so you know we've, this uh, definitely a good buildup of stuff that i think we wanted to talk about a bit so um, hey, uh, uh, Ebony, why don't you get us started with some choice entertainment news this week? I would love to offer you some choice entertainment news. I don't know how choice this is, but it is something that folks are talking about. So David Fincher, director I love, director that I was really hoping was going to be able to come through with season three of Mindhunter, a show that brought all of us Bill Chinch, <laughs> one of the best characters in the past 20 years of television argue with your mama i don't want to hear about it anyways david fincher in an interview with um the british newspaper telegraph um, mentioned wanting to do a, a mini series on cancel culture and if you like me hear that term or read that term and it's like nails on a chalkboard but you held out hope for a minute that perhaps what thoughtful you know, contemplative, you know, talented David Fincher was going to do, uh, well, you know, don't put your mind at ease because it's precisely the kind of like tired retread that you would expect when people deploy a term like cancel culture. So I want to, you know, um, read one of the the quotes from it, which is when Fincher talks about like what drew him to this topic and why he wants to, to do a mini series about it. He says, quote, at its heart, it's about how we in modern society measure an apology. If you give a truly heartfelt apology and no one believes it, did you even apologize at all? But it's a, it's a troubling idea, but we live in troubling times, end quote. I'm just like, uh, this is, Ebony. yeah, this, this, this makes me sad, but also so angry. For, for the purposes of this commentary, I'm going to use the term victim here. Um, your apology needs to be victim-centered, by which I mean that if you are truly concerned with having hurt someone or done something inappropriate or illegal or unethical or whatever, and you, are, you truly care about the impact on people that you have hurt, you have to understand that they are under no obligation to forgive you or move past it. That is, they are autonomous beings and they do not owe you forgiveness. And this is something that, you know, white men in particular seem to have an impossible time understanding the notion that, you know, I feel I've done something bad. I've been called to account, you know, to whatever extent on it. Um, And I have I have issued an apology. I want now the conversation to be over. I don't want to feel bad anymore. I don't want people to talk about it anymore. I don't want to experience any consequences because I have done what I believe I've been told to do, which is issue an apology. And it can be well-crafted. It can be not well-crafted. But simply the fact of making an apology and feeling bad for so many people seems to be uh, what they want to be. They want it to be further transactional. And so now the account is balanced. Now the ledger has been wiped clean. So why are you still making me feel bad about these things? When he says, if you give a truly heartfelt apology and no one believes it, believes what? Believes that you made the apology? That's not an issue here. Believes that you feel sorry? Again, that's not an issue here. No one owes you forgiveness. And also no one owes you a living. If you've done something that means you should be fired, guy who's been wanking off on work calls, you know, no one should be, you know, no one offers you um, a slot on their comedy, you know, stage, Louis C.K. Like this, this refusal to seed even a micro dot of esteem 
you know, is truly pathological. It's, it's, it's pathological to me, this obsession with cancel culture. And also, can we just talk about the fact that all of these people talk about how worrying cancel culture is? I have yet to see someone who's been truly canceled. Right. I mean, it, cancel culture continues to be a way for the, for the powerful to, um, to frame the relatively powerless and the marginalized as like the real kind of tyrants, right? I mean, for when, when we as trans people, uh, for instance, and we're gonna, I'm gonna talk a bit about JK Rowling in a bit, but, but just, you know, when we as trans people, for instance, rail against her for her trans, for spreading and giving a huge platform and legitimizing transphobic views that make the world far more dangerous and, you know, legitimize violence against us, hatred uh, of us, um, you know, and so on. Like, um, uh, we are, we are like the tyrants for, um, for wanting, for like, quote unquote, canceling her, even though, what what does that mean? She's still a billionaire. She still publishes Mm -hmm. her super transphobic, you know, mystery novels. She's like, like, there is no way in which she has been like really legitimately materially harmed by the criticism. But like, we, like, so we, the marginalized, are are perpetually supposed to uh, to continue living under the the conditions that oppress us, that marginalize us, that endanger us, and and it, you know, it, whenever we like uh, push back, speak out against um, individual powerful figures, celebrities, writers with big platforms, etc., who who spread ideas that are dangerous and harmful towards us or who act in ways that are that are just completely inappropriate or unacceptable you know we become the, uh we become the the, the tyrants the oppressors because mm-hmm. you know because our, our the status quo must always sort of center the the powerful as like the those who who are you know their attitudes their perspectives their prejudices as like legitimate and valid and um and, and to to call them out to criticize to condemn them is is the true act of of tyranny it's uh, it's utterly absurd it's so absurd and you know one of the things that's most disturbing is the ways that um people will mobilize in support of someone who they believe is in being danger of canceled um even if they themselves are not the object of, you know, someone's ire or, you know, anger or whatever, right? So you have people coming out of the woodwork decrying what they see as like an attempt to cancel um, J.K. Rowling. And you're like, it it really betrays how much of people's like self-identity is caught up in, you know, sort of like, you know, nostalgia um, in some ways or, you know, um, you know, the personality that they have taken on via like their media consumption or whatever. It's fascinating. It's horrifying too, but it's really fascinating. But you know, what so many people seem to be saying is if you cancel, you know, person X, that means that you are making a statement about me. And that, that may or may not be true. You know, I mean, if you say right now in the year 2020, like, Hey, I'm a huge Louis CK fan. You know, can't wait for like I to be back on my TV. You know, seek out podcasts that he's on or whatever. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a judgment based upon that information. But before we even get to that point, you know, it's like there's this preemptive damage control that fans will do on behalf of a beloved figure. You know, as a kind of you know self protective move. It's, it's like people we 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 need to interrogate how much we invest these external you know figures with you know this this kind of power over our identity we we need to unpack that shit absolutely uh anita what do you got for us this week oh boy um so i have two stories that i'm gonna just kind of talk about together um the first is beloved (laughs) beloved, (laughs) i can't even do it oh good lord uh Video game makers CD Projekt Red uh, and their highly anticipated game Cyberpunk 2077 um, has been delayed. They announced that the game that was been delayed many times um, but was anticipated to come out in November has been delayed until December 10th. So it was a three week delay Um, and the Internet lost its shit. You're kidding. A three-week yeah. delay. What? Like, aggressively. So so here's the thing. Um, the developers got death threats. 
uh, because of the delay, um, there were like the the vehemence and the rage of cyberpunk fans is really something to be held, be held, behold to to witness. This is why um, I'm hosting today, everyone, is that Anita's, uh, you know. <laughs> unable to say words. Yeah, yeah. In case anyone was um, wondering why I'm in the captain's chair. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm having a shitty day and I didn't want to host. That's the real story of it. And I might tell you why in the bonus. So, hey, <laughs> if you want to hear more about it, become a patron uh, about my misery. Anyways, it's not unrelated to this, which is kind of why I'm talking about it. So the the thing is that, like, CD Projekt Red is and we've talked about cyberpunk and this studio and how like there's a lot of transphobia that is around this space and and homophobia there's um the developers and the like the executives have been lying to their employees and lying to the public about um crunch culture that has been well documented that like the 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 working conditions of this studio are not good like extremely not good and so the fact that there are delays, right, is just it, it it is not surprising um for a whole number of reasons, but the fact that fans do not give a shit about the employees, mm-hmm. right? They don't care what the cost is to get their games out and get them looking as like perfect as they want them to look. And this is also in a year when almost every game has been delayed. Like just about everything has been delayed this year. Like tech has been delayed, like everything, because it's it isn't it is a strange year for all kinds of reasons. So it's really frightening and troubling and like exhausting and unsurprising. And I hate that it's not surprising that this is the case. Um, Jim Sterling actually made a video about it um, where he's like, the game should be delayed for three more years. <laughs> like, And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it should be, right? To actually treat people the way that they should be treated in a workplace and also get the quality that you are expecting out of this game. So, Yeah, it, it it's just another very clear illustration of the... the um, you know, the problem, the, uh, the ongoing problem, and it's something that the game industry itself feeds deliberately because it's ultimately profitable for them. But, uh, you know, by fueling, by building up so much hype around games, they really encourage people to, um, to put a lot of like their sense of like the, like meaning in their lives, you know, into a, a, a product, right? Like cyberpunk 2077 has been built up so much for so long that people, you know, develop a sense really that it's going to be the sort of be all end all like thing. And, and so, and so when it is delayed, even for, you know, a few weeks after, you know, all these years, like it, it, it's the reaction to it is so out of um, scale with what it should be. Right. And like, I mean, I mean, you know, some, some of the tweets were like, I requested time off work, you know, already for such and such date because, you know, and, and, and like, I agree that, look, it's reasonable to say CDPR could have handled communication around this better. Right. And to not have said like, yes, the November date is absolutely no more delays or whatever, um, because they did say that, like, there will be no more delays and then they delayed it again. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, you know, it's scary kind of looking at, at the intensity of the outrage and vitriol. And and as you importantly point out, Anita, the, the disregard for, like, the humanity of the CDPR's employees and, and the way that, yes, the um, uh, a high-level person at the, at the studio, like, in a call with shareholders was like, hey, look, it's not that bad, it, you know, whatever. It's, uh, it's only, like, a certain percentage of whatever of our population. It's fine. And then had to go... And then you know, like to face the outrage of the employees who are like, how the fuck could you have said that? And then like be super mm-hmm. contrite and be like, I'm really sorry for what I said. But like like this need in, um, for studios to downplay how awful Crunch is and to, you know, I mean, this is um, God, it's such a it's, uh, so awful on so many levels. Is- and I'm it so glad a- it's getting more attention now, but we obviously like the labor movement and games and everything. We have so much so much more work to do. Well, and um, I think it's Jason Schreier yeah. who keeps writing stories about um, yes. uh, the exploitation of workers, and like he's getting an enormous amount of harassment for for <laughs> for exposing what uh-huh. is going on. You know, like the the splash of 
the splash damage of of the, these kinds of harassment campaigns go pretty wide. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that there is something to be said about what you're bringing up, Carolyn, about how like the these games are so hotly anticipated, right? And like Last of Us Two is another example of this, where um you, you, identities are wrapped up in these games that haven't even been released, right? Like it's. I th- the film world isn't quite the same, right? Like where you can anticipate a movie's release, but the hype around the movie comes out when people start seeing the movie and yeah. assessing whether not not across the across the board, but like in games or you're they're hyping these games for years, and you might get like teeny tiny little very marketable pieces of the game, and somehow you're like willing to throw down, like give up your firstborn child for this fucking game when you've never even played it or have any kind of ownership over it. It's so, it is so bizarre. It is such a strange thing to explain to people who aren't in games, like not even explaining the harassment and the entitlement, but just the sheer like obsession with something that you've never fucking played. Right. Like, yeah, I I would almost understand it if it's like, if it is a game you played and found, you know, it really spoke to you or it really like meant something to you or what have you, but that's not the case with this. Um, and I get that CD, sorry, just one last no, thing. Go ahead. I get that CD Projekt Red is, um, you know, like whatever you can say, whatever you want about the Witcher, but like, I, I recognize that it is a celebrated game and that it's like a very well done and people really love it. Right. Mm-hmm. That like, this is a studio that, uh, people put a lot of, um, uh, clout into, right. And, and a lot of anticipation. So that's part of it as well, but that's not enough to justify this kind of reaction. Last thing I'm going to say about this, and then you can go, is that I hope Keanu Reeves feels real fucking bad for being in this game. <laughs> wow. Shots fired. Throw, I know, throwing the gauntlet down. Just no, I was saying, just I, come on. I, I was just going to say, to push back a little bit on the, the film comment you made, I, it is different um, within the world of film, but I do wonder what the reaction would have been if, you know, one of the, like, um, big tentpole Marvel movies had been delayed um, or like one of the Star Wars. I think those are probably the things that, you know, that have the the same kind of like anticipation factor. Yeah, Yeah, you know, they get built up over a course of years and like just really hardcore gamers. But of course, with film, like the multi-billion dollar film industry, which is not to say it's bigger than games because it ain't. Games, whoo boy, brings in lots of money. But I think like the industry is different. It's been around longer. And when it comes to like the actual labor of making movies, let's not forget that it's not just like directors, writers, on-screen talent, etc. There are other, there are thousands of below-the-line people, and a lot of those people are in unions. So when it comes to like actual working conditions, like there are rules and procedures set up in place. It would be interesting to think about, and I'm sure you know, very smart people have written about like the actual business of creating, um, you know, um, within the film industry versus the the gaming industry. Yeah, I mean, there's there is a. I'm I'm not at all in my statement about to imply that the film industry hasn't created a culture of entitlement. I'm just putting that aside for a mm-hmm. second. The video game industry 100% very clearly created a culture of entitlement. Like mm-hmm. documentable, like very mm-hmm. clear. And not only that is that the way that we interact with games and so building this culture of entitlement and then putting players in the seat of you are the most important person in the world, like mm-hmm. these these incredible power fantasies <clears throat> where you save the world, you get the chick, all of this shit. And so years and years and years of that have led to this, right? Yeah. Have led exactly to this moment. Um, and, and that kind of leads me into my next story, which I don't know, Carolyn, if you want to say something more about cyberpunk before I go into it. No, uh, no, I think we okay. should. No, please. So um, the next story and why I want to talk about these together um, will become apparent in a minute. But on Friday, um, or actually, I don't remember what the date, but well, this comes out on Wednesday. So last Friday, um, there was all of a sudden on Twitter, we saw these messages about Ubisoft Montreal, um, the game studio responsible for Assassin's Creed, um, has a hostage situation. And we didn't really know much more about it. And there were these reports about like, There are employees because a lot of people are still working from home, but there were some people working out of the office and that um, a bunch of them went up to the roof and like barricaded themselves on the roof. And like we didn't know Mm. what was going on. Like it was really quite terrifying, I I think, to to witness it. And also because of the way that um, information travels, we didn't really know anything about it. Um, It turned out that what it was was basically it was a swatting. 
Um, it was wow. a prank 911 call about um, bombing the Ubisoft Montreal office if the, this person didn't get $2 million or something like to that effect. And and the mm. result of it was that they sent out the equivalent of the SWAT team, because it's in Canada, I forget what they're called, um, to this office and, you know, lock down the streets and the roads and everything. Now, like, I, I bring these up together because swatting is a harassment tactic, right? It is a part of this large um, entitlement culture of, like, we don't get what we want, Therefore, we can use violent means to attain it. Now, we don't know who who made this call. We don't know what their what the thoughts were. I don't know anything about the motivations around it. Mm-hmm. But swatting is such a prevalent occurrence in our gaming communities to attack, to terrify, to terrorize, um, and and humiliate uh, individuals that aren't you know that that whether it's for comedic reasons or whether it's like for the lulls or like literally because you're mad at someone. Right. And this Mm -hmm. isn't the first time this sort of thing has happened. Like, I I don't know how public some of these stories are, but I've heard from developers at big studios about like getting bomb threats because Mm. they didn't release, uh, because they changed the, the shooting rate of a gun on the the latest update or some shit like that. Right. Like this isn't new, um, but it's increasing and it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah, swatting and, and swatting, I mean, it has been fatal at times in the past. Like, there's at least one in- incident I know of, you know, where a gaming-related, you know, a, a SWAT incident did, I mean, result because the police resorted to violence in a situation yeah. where they shouldn't have, did result in someone's death. Yeah, and um, I'm sorry, I didn't quite explain what swatting is, just in oh, case yeah. for folks who don't yeah. know. Swatting is the, pra- actually, I don't know how it's completely defined, but it's the practice of calling in, um, like, a fake... Uh, report that that a horrible violent occurrence is going to happen in somebody's home so that the police will send out the SWAT team, which is why it's called swatting. It started happening when people were live streaming so that uh, that the viewers would witness the police like rampaging into somebody's home. Um, but it's not exclusively done over live streams or when live streaming is happening. Yeah. And I mean, as horrifying as the, the situation itself was, I mean, you know, the, the very real fear and concern and, you know, just the, the vicarious or visceral kind of um, trauma that I, I think I'm sure many people experience just witnessing, you know, the Ubisoft employees go through that. Like for me, there was also this, um, this, this deep, like, um, kind of, uh, I mean, sort of sickening feeling as I looked at some of the responses on Twitter too, where people, there were a lot of people sort of very much making light of the situation, saying things like, hey, you know, it's Rainbow Six in real life or, you know, whatever. And because Rainbow yes. Six, the Tom Clancy games being, you know, a U- Ubisoft property. And it's just like, you know, we've, people have lost something, I think, essential to their humanity uh, almost when, when they can look at such a horrifying situation as that. And, you know, and, and, and that's like the, the response is to, is to j- sort of be th- that kind of glib about it. But um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Hor- the internet is trash and should never have been invented. <laughs> is my mm-hmm. conclusion. Um, Jeez. All right. Oh, uh. Do we have any good entertainment news no, this week? I don't I think we like did. All, I, I guess you <laughs> I have, you I have gotten one. one. Your, your one is like half of one, right? It, it goes wrong, but it starts yeah. good. Yeah, it Every. starts good. Yeah. Well, let me let me <laughs> squeeze one of mine in here first before we get to, uh, to Ebony's next story. Uh, mine is not good, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> in fact, this was, this was truly, um, like this actually truly made me sad to, to witness. Um, so, uh, the, the, the acclaimed writer and, you know, and feminist, you know, writer, speaker, thinker, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, um, stated in a, in an interview, I believe with the guardian, um, that, um, that, um, a, a recent, very transphobic essay by JK Rowling, um, it was, um, um, perfectly reasonable. Um, so let me set the stage here a little bit. This is an essay. Um, the essay of JK Rowling's is an essay in which she, um, uh, conflates sort of being trans with being mentally ill. You know, she uses arguments like the argument that 
trans men are only trans because of the quote allure of escaping womanhood, which doesn't in any way like, okay, so then how do you explain trans women? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. if you, you know, if, if being trans is about like social capital, I mean, that's just such a, such an, you know, I mean, immediately sort of disprovable and like absurd kind of argument. Um, And, you know, J.K. Rowling's essay, which, again, her, as I alluded to earlier, being transphobic and the way that she um, uh, proclaims her her transphobic ideas um, lends a great deal, does a great deal of damage. It lends a great deal of of legitimacy to transphobic um, movements and attitudes. And so um, so um, uh, Adichie um, uh, said uh, well, she she defended the essay, um, and she said um, uh, also yeah, there was a way in which her defense of the essay sort of seemed to to be a railing against um, cancel culture. Really, um, mm. she said, um, you know, speaking to the Guardian about like all all the uproar, she said, "quote." Um, there's a sense in which you aren't allowed to learn and grow. Also, forgiveness is out of the question. I find it so lacking in compassion. But J.K. Rowling has not changed her behavior. She has not learned and grown. Yeah. And furthermore, neither has uh, Adichie herself, who, you know, mm-hmm. a few years ago um, spoke some transphobic ideas and attitudes and who I had hoped in the time since maybe would have people in her life who would say, Look, you are not understanding this issue properly. You are not looking at this from the right angle. You do not understand how transphobia, you know, how, you know, uh, transphobia, you know, is, is supports patriarchy. It does not, you know, um, but no, clearly that hasn't happened at all. And she continues to um, to believe um, and, and to vocally support the the voicing and the spreading of deeply transphobic um, ideas and attitudes. And, you know, I mean, as somebody who like admires, admires her as a writer who, you know, who really loved, um, her slim volume, we should all be feminists and, you know, thought that that could be such a kind of, uh, formative and opening way for like young people to get into feminism. Um, it's really, really heartbreaking to, it's a heartbreaking reminder of what we as trans people are, are up against. Yeah. I, uh, read a, a really um, sad thread on Twitter about this. So the Nigerian Tamil writer, um, Akakwe Amezi, who um, is the author of the um, the book Freshwater, <clears throat> excuse me, revealed that um, Adichie had pulled her, her blurb for the book and her support of the book during her debut week because Amezi had been, you know, responding on Twitter have been tweeting about um, Adichie's, you know, transphobic comments. And they talked about how um, having gone through Adichie's um, uh, workshops, they felt that she was foundational to their learning their craft and becoming better as a writer. And so, you know, to have this gut punch of someone who you look up to as an icon um, you know, pull that support just felt very retaliatory. But, you know, um, but Amazi, you know, talks about like, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, I'm not going to not speak my truth, you know, about this. But it was just such a, mm. people are really, you know, like wrestling with um, this profound sense of like, of loss and betrayal of someone whose who's art, you know, and way of thinking meant so much to you. And then to realize that this person who, you know, had, had, had revealed some, you know, kind of shifty thinking before that you had hoped that they had spent, you know, the intervening years learning and growing is in fact digging in and that they have the kind of stature in the industry that it can make or break a young writer's career to come out vocally against someone like Adichie, right? You know, so, you know, Amezi had to talk about how they had to, you know, like this was something they had to 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 wrestle with. It was just it was it was profoundly sad. And then you think about like like this is this is the true cancel culture is you know young people you know young writers you know all of the people whose voices are silenced. Um, not that that happened to Amazing. Her book is doing amazingly well. But what about all of the people who have been silenced? You know, um, by these people and their bad acts. Do, do we spare no compassion for them? But no, I have to give a shit about J.K. Rowling, who should be on, homie. You have over a billion dollars. 
If I had one tenth of a hundredth of a percent of that kind of money, y'all would never hear from me again, peasants. Yeah. I would not have an opinion I would share in the public realm. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, there's a one quote from Adichie's interview, um, you know, it's particularly, I think, um, eye-opening for me. She says, uh, quote, again, J.K. Rowling is a woman who is progressive, who clearly stands for and believes in diversity. Uh, and that's just like, so our humanity as trans people and our validity as trans people is so um, dismissible. Like you can be progressive. You can be, it doesn't matter what uh, attitudes you hold about trans people. You can still be v- considered um, progressive, which to me is just like, it's so like, no, I mean, but like accepting that trans um you know, that trans women are women, that trans men are men, that non-binary people are, are are valid, that, you know, the trans rights are human rights. All of these things should be, like, absolutely essential to being considered progressive. Um, but clearly, we, we, we're, not, we're not there yet. And, uh, and people like Adichie aren't helping, <laughs> or, and J.K. Rowling. And, and again, um, you know, this is, again, one of those situations, those cancel culture situations where it's us who you know, who, who protest, who say, who, you know, who, who, who protest in, in favor of our own humanity and say, you're dehumanizing us, you're belittling us, you're dismissing us. We are the, we are the uh, framed here as the tyrants, as the silencers, as the oppressors, mm. when we're, you know, we're being, we're being killed. We're being, we're dying as a result of, um, well, of violent, of direct violence, of, inc- uh, you know, employment discrimination, uh, housing discrimination, economic discrimination, you name it. So, um, yeah, absolutely <laughs> a devastating situ- uh, situation. Um, what kind of like just messed up Martian brain math do you have to use to imagine that we live in a world in which trans people have so much social capital that people are making this decision because of like what? All of the money that will accrue, all of the like social stature that they will gain from it, like the ease, which like it makes no fuck. It's farcical. What are you thinking? Well, Ugh. Let's move on to uh, to uh, um, our our last uh, story of the entertainment news segment. Ebony, um, give us shine at least a little bit of light into this uh, this uh, this pit of darkness that we have been circling around for the past uh, half hour. What else you got for us? I'll tell you what I got for you. Anita's boyfriend, Harry Styles. Oh, they keep the it fuck? on the DL, but I'm revealing it here. Anyways, I, I Harry have no Styles. opinions on Harry Styles, just for the what? record. Girl, quit lying. Um, late of boy band, One Direction. Anyways, the dude's had a solo career for a while now. He is charming. He is just a little, like, whip, smart little, like, fashion forward, you know, gnome of like, I don't know, just metrosexual goodness. It, it, people even say metrosexual anymore. I'm old. Anyway. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> was, listen. I don't listen. think so, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they don't. So anyways, uh, Mr. Harry Styles is gracing the December issue of Vogue magazine. He is, I believe, the first man to do so. And he is wearing, wearing a couture gown. There's a photo shoot within the pages of the magazine where he he is wearing other dresses. He looks fantastic. I mean, and Harry Styles, if you if you don't know him, um, is someone who has always taken lots of fashion risks. You know, he is very creative, not at all state or traditional in his approach to dressing, and he's someone who clearly considers it um, fun. <clears throat> so. Uh, in response to this Vogue cover reveal, Candace Owens, who is just the most whack, tired, retread, what are you doing, baby girl? Please, black conservative pundit. I hate to even give her that title, pundit. She didn't even deserve that. But anyways, uh, one of those, one of these um, like black conservatives who tries to, you know, uh, pull people away, black and brown people away from the Democratic Party to <laughs> serve new masters in the GOP because the Democrats are the real racists, which. <laughs> I mean, (laughs) anyway, I mean, which is not to say that the Democrats don't have a lot of shit we need to work on. But anyways, she's trash. So anyways, in response to this Vogue cover story, Candace Owen tweeted, there is no society that can survive without strong men. The East oh knows God. this. No, Anita, it gets so good. <laughs> I can't with this the, shit. The East uh. knows this. In the West, 
The steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It is an outright attack. Bring back manly men. There's a lot to unpack Shut here. Up. There's a lot Eat to unpack rocks. here. Um, so one, Candace Owen is a Owens is a black woman, right? And who has been a fairly occasionally useful tool of you know white supremacy. Um, you know via her alt-right talking points that she's eager to parrot. But I want to talk about this. So her in her mind and in the mind of people like Ben Shapiro, there is something fundamentally wrong with a version of masculinity that does not look the way um, they believe that it looked in the past. And they're talking specifically about like a very American-centric kind of past, um, a very middle-class and upper kind of past, a very white kind of past. Um, and so any deviation from that perceived norm is incredibly unsettling to them. And you want to you wanna ask, like, what is it that you believe that we are missing out on if men are, in fact, free to cry in public, <laughs> free to eat salads, <laughs> free to wear dresses if they want? Like, what is it that you believe is happening? You know, like, what are we actually missing out on? And it's very telling, you know, that in, in, the mind of Karen Owens and people like her, it's tied to what she calls, um, you know, like Marxism being taught to children. The, the like stranglehold of capitalism is part and parcel of the way that gender has been constructed, you know, um, in our societies. And so like, she's telling on herself, she's telling on, you know, um, ultra right wing talking points here, but we really need to talk about like, you know, what about a man in a dress is so unsettling for people, yeah. you know? And obviously like Harry Styles has much more leeway and latitude to do something like this on the cover of Vogue magazine than just like, you know, my neighbor, right? Like if my neighbor, Tom, um, were to decide to, to go to work and address, he's not going to get nearly the kind of reception that, you know, Harry Styles is privileged to achieve. But let's, let's talk about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, the idea that also that this is something new, I mean, look at the history, right. you know, of David Bowie. For, David Bowie is trending on Twitter yeah. right now because so many people are like, uh, you know, yeah. like gen mm -hmm. uh, rock stars playing with gender, it, you know, is not anything new. But more than that, in, in my view, what I just absolutely cannot, you know, swallow is, I mean, to me, it is un it is so blatantly obvious. It is so undeniable that the way in which we, uh, we, put men in this emotional cage that like that mm -hmm. limits their you know that tells them that so much of the range of human self-expression is off limits to them and that they will be policed and punished for exploring the areas outside of the very very narrow realm that is like just like allowed to them by by patriarchy you know, that itself is so, I mean, it's so fragile. You know, you talk about strong men. I mean, this is a fundamentally fragile structure that we have set up by, by putting men in this narrow uh, uh, arrangement. And it, it, it results in so much violence. I mean, you cannot mm -hmm. look at the history of male violence and, and rage, like domestic violence, murder, you know, so on and so forth, like, and not see the way that, 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 that that is that so much of that violence erupts out of the performance of masculinity that men are told they must maintain in our society. Yeah. Um. Woo. All right. Well, on that note, uh, I no, think no, wait. Oh, okay. uh, in the script, I see. Um, oh, oh. there is a mention of a secret <laughs> okay. story. All right. I've been very much looking forward I, to this. All right. Well, I. Yes. All right. We'll we'll talk. We'll do, we'll make this a quick one. But um, Rob, um, before I get into this one, if you uh, <laughs> you have a little sad music you could play, oh that might God. be that might be appropriate right now. So, because I know a lot of us are hurting right now about uh, about John Tesh. Um, so John, oh my God. John Tesh, oh my God. you know, Entertainment Tonight, uh, anchor person type thing um he you know he <laughs> tweeted yesterday before before um oh god this is hard he tweeted yesterday oh god, before <laughs> uh before deleting his twitter account 
he tweeted, and I quote, uh, meet me over at parlor.com and say goodbye to viciousness and censorship. And I just feel like oh. we have lost our way as a society <laughs> if John Tesh feels Woo. he has to retreat into a far-right, conservative, safe space. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, listen, I don't, but I also, he made a cameo as a Klingon in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Did he, how could he be, did he not understand the core concepts of, the, of that series of Gene Roddenberry's vision? John Tesh, how could you, how could you be a Trump supporter? I don't understand. I don't understand, but I, I'm sorry that you were victimized here on Twitter and, uh, you know, I hope you find uh, the safe space that you are looking for on parlor.com. I can't believe you almost didn't do that. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Like, I love Carol Theater so much, and we don't get nearly enough of it. Just end. Can we just end yeah. right now? There's Please. literally oh, nothing else it. we can do that'll top that. that wow. Incredible. No, we can't. We'll be right back with our weekly freakouts. You know something you can do today? You can head over to patreon.com slash femfreak and become one of our patrons. That's right. If you back this podcast, not only are you helping us keep it on the air and keep feminist critical media criticism alive, <laughs> but you also get loads of fun perks like early access to podcast episodes, very special bonus episodes, merch discounts. What else you got? Uh, oh, we even let our patrons help us decide on new episodes and upcoming topics. So go ahead and check that out. Patreon.com slash Femfreak. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Ebony, what do you got for us? Okay, so I am delighted about this, y'all. Um, there is a new film on Netflix called Jingle Jangle. Um, it's available now. It is a holiday film, which will surprise no one based upon the name. So if it's too early for you to be like moonwalking into uh, Christmas holiday celebrations, that's fine. But when it's your time, please watch this movie. It is so cute. It is adorable. And it is also gorgeous. It's a family film. So, you know, this is not some like, you know, um, you know, dark, gritty. Um, it's not Scandi Noir, which is all I watch, you know, but um, it is the story of a genius toy inventor played by the amazing Forrest Whitaker, uh. who after being betrayed by his apprentice, you know, the, the, uh, the nefarious Keegan Michael Key, I the believe. nefarious, and who is so good, yeah. just so deliciously wicked uh -huh. in this movie. Um, but so you know, he he spends the next you know several decades not inventing. He has lost essentially his entire family, but his life turns around when he um, is acquainted with his granddaughter Journey. Um, it is the film is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Um, it is notable that the almost the entire cast is black. It is set in this like sort of candy colored steampunk infusion of a Victorian England that is peopled almost entirely by black people. You know, just amazing costumes that owe much to like, you know, um, African fabrics and, you know, traditional black hairstyles. The music is amazing. The dancing is amazing. It will not surprise you to learn that this film, you know, originally was conceived of as a Broadway musical, but it is just, it is so sweet um, it is fun. It is funny. It is something that, you know, you can watch with your family or be like me, take an edible, watch it by yourself twice. Like, <laughs> it's just that good. You know, it is just two hours worth of fun. I, I, um, I watched about 15 minutes of it. <laughs> and um, I was so like, I don't know how to say this because it's going to sound so stupid, especially with like what I've built my career around. But like, mm -hmm. I was so shocked at a Christmas movie about black people. Like, you should be. I, like, you it, should be. It was like, I knew that's what it was when I went into it. But there was something mm -hmm. so like, holy shit, I've never seen this before. 
Like I've yeah, never was- seen like these happy, lovely mm-hmm. children, this beautiful environment, the like the hopes and dreams and genius and excitement of Christmas and it being based around black folks. And it like I, I knew what it was going into it. And I still was like, holy shit, this is like this is big. Yeah, I mean, you know that I have a shriveled up raisin heart, so I don't normally do whimsy. But this film, like, black people deserve whimsy. We deserve lightness. We deserve magic. Um, so the filmmakers, David Talbert and his wife, and is the writer-director uh, of the film, his wife, Lynn Sisson Talbert, produced the film. And they talked about how um, they grew up watching things like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and how these films, um, these kind of like magical stories, which were bread and butter to them, partly because of time, you know, but also because children today, young people today, and justifiably so, have less patience um, for non-representational art, you know? Um, So they talk about how their young son, um, you know, like uh, David Talbert talks about how, you know, he tried to get his son to watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and was just like, he he wasn't into it because like, you know, it's a cool story and all, but there's no one that looks like him in this. And so they wanted to make a film in which their young son could see a little black boy fly, you know, and just like making magic available to everyone. It is it really, it's just, it's a fun movie to watch. Um, if you're looking for something to just sit back and enjoy, like I said, the music is great. The dancing is great. It is, and truly the animation in the film is exquisite. It is absolutely exquisite. There's, I, I don't even know if it's like stop motion. It's just watch it. Just, yeah. So Jingle Jangle, um, Forrest Whitaker, Keegan-Michael Key, Felicia Rashad is in it, um, Anna Canoni Rose, amazing, and then just like these delightful, you know, child actors, whatever, but it's it's amazing. It's it's just, it's really fun. Watch it. I'm freaking out. Awesome. Um, you all can submit your own freakout at feministfrequency.com slash freakout. That's feministfrequency.com slash F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. Thanks so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. Next week, we're going to be talking about some of the films from Native American filmmakers at the LA Skins Film Fest. You can check out the whole festival lineup taking place digitally from November 18th through the 22nd at laskinsfest.com. Stay tuned for the Freakin' After Party only available to backers of this podcast, which you can be. Learn more at patreon.com slash You can find us everywhere great podcasts are found. If you haven't yet, go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review us. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and all the social medias at FemFreak. The show is engineered by Rob Perra. Terry Stimson provides technical support, artwork by Jamie Varon, and our intro music is by Phil Circus. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Peace. (laughs) (laughs) Leave that pause in there, Rob. I forgot. I'm not even not usually the one on the other side of these things. I'm usually the one sitting there being like, "Come on, say bye." <laughs> right. <laughs>